0: Welcome back to Gen Z Frenzy. Last episode, we spoke to a few high school students about how the whole reopening process was going for them. It seems that every school has a different plan, but there is one thing that they have in common. They're all quite complicated. This week, we wanted to get a behind the scenes look at the reopening process from the administration's point of view. provic from Nutria about everything that has happened from last spring until now to rig up the school for students Could you start out by describing at what point last year you knew that we wouldn't be going back to school that spring, and it was time to start figuring out the plan for the 2020-2021 school year, and what did that process look like?
1: I'm trying to remember back, it feels like it's years ago, but it's not. But I, th- I think you know, there's a, there's a point that the information that we're receiving in terms of numbers from the state, guidance by the state, um, so the Illinois State Board of Education provides guidance to schools, and. It wasn't looking like it was gonna be possible to open just based on that guidance. And numbers were across the country, including Illinois and local. So it was pretty quickly in April there. We knew that we needed to start thinking about potentially what would happen in the fall if we were not able to open. And so the superintendent started a reopening committee that then branched out into several different committees, including looking at and reviewing potentially a different bell schedule, so that it could be an easier transition if we had to go from remote to in-person back to remote. So mm-hmm. part of all those committees were really thinking about what is the fall gonna look like and how do we adapt if we're totally in remote? So I, I think that Dr. Sally, our you know leaders, faculty, staff, were really proactive in, in the spring. Um, trying to think about how, if this is going to be the new way of learning, that we do our best to make sure that we're thinking about all the different ways to, to provide that learning to our students, whether remote, hybrid, or in person.
0: Aja, gotcha. So were you working with other schools to formulate a plan? Mm-hmm. And what about the Illinois state government?
1: So Dr. Sally meets with other superintendents locally. We're our own district, so we have local Uh, superintendents that we work with because I think one of the things that, you know, we certainly always consider locally is what our schedules look like and then how does that have an impact on our families that have kids in the elementary and middle school. So a lot of meetings um, and discussions with the local superintendents and then as well as I meet with the principals in the what we call our CSL or Athletic League that we compete with. And then Dr. Sally also had standing meetings with those superintendents of our local athletic league. And so just lots of discussing about what each school is able to do based on population numbers. I mean, we're unique in that we have 4,000 students, certainly two campuses. Um, And then looking at space of our school, what are constraints, metrics, um, so just lots and lots of discussions. <clears throat> and then, you know, the, the state was allowing each district to come up with their own opening plan. So, you know, I think it's important that we had other schools to bounce ideas off to understand But really we needed to rely on our unique population as best as we could, knowing that we, we know our school, we know our students, we know our families, um, and trying to, trying to make sure that we were putting together the best plan that we could.
0: So you had talked about the block schedule, and I know that a lot of schools across the country already used that. Were you considering putting that into place prior to the pandemic?
1: Dr. Sally has a strategic plan. He's in his, I think, third year now, maybe fourth year as superintendent. And so part of his onboarding with the the, the school board was putting together a strategic plan that went to 2030. So it was, what do we need to look at? And things to consider uh, you know, as, we, as we move forward um, at Nutrier. And so part of that look was we've been on a traditional nine period day for many years. And so one of the questions was, is that the best schedule for our kids? And some of that also came out of some information that we had collected from students and staff and parents on students' dress. You know, nine periods a day is a lot for kids to go through uh, 40 minutes, very short periods, and then extracurriculars our kids are involved in. So part of the strategic plan was just revisiting the bell schedule, but you know there was no set plan to say, okay, we're gonna we're changing the bell schedule for X, Y, or Z. It was really just looking at that and getting more information and doing some data research on what would it look like to go to an alternative schedule. So this schedule that we have now, we are committed to reviewing it throughout the year. Certainly, it's going to look different remotely from hybrid to in-person. But looking at that schedule and then seeing is there something we need to to tweak? uh, Do we go back to the nine-day? Do we alter this some way or do we keep this? So we're looking at it as a schedule for the best interest during this uh, particular pandemic.
0: So it's pretty easy to imagine that the transition required solving many scheduling and technology related issues, but were there any other unique challenges that you guys faced?
1: So we, you know, if you look around what other schools are doing and trying to do, it takes a lot of work and effort to think about how do you bring back kids period on a campus? And then how do you bring back the numbers of students onto the campus with the current local restrictions and guidelines? So meaning social distancing, ensuring that you can really monitor students um, when they're in the building, keeping their mask on, following the social distancing guidelines. So just I think our numbers were and are just something that we face. And so knowing that we weren't compelled to say all or none, and some districts did that, And, and I don't think they did it lightly either. I think that they really had to think about can we, really bring kids onto campus and if we can how do we do that and so that's what we spent most of our summer doing and one of the things that I think um, we had to really think about is scheduling so one of our on our ladder that uh, we have for reopening we're really looking at trying to bring in percentages of students so if you bring in 10% of kids we have to put those 10% in a group and we have to do it by alpha And part of that is to ensure that kids on two campuses, their parents aren't having to, if they have to drive, just trying to, you know, create less restrictions on families. But you have to be able to group them then. And then it's 10% on each day. Uh, We're in a block. So that means basically kids are going to be there, you know, green and blue day. And then the next week they'll be at home. So every every two weeks they'll be on campus a couple days. So that all is a different scheduling than what we've ever had and trying to figure out that next 25%. So some of it's just an algorithm you create, others it's you know you have to label and, and identify kids in the system and then make sure that when we say 10% are in the campus we've sent out and we only have 10% so we can really make sure that we're we're monitoring that. The other thing that we did that is unique we offered our parents an opportunity to either have full remote or do hybrid. And so some parents have opted for their student to stay home for all kinds of reasons, and so we know we need to offer a robust curriculum for remote learning, but if we're able to bring 10% back and then 25 and then potentially 50, there'll be some kids that'll always be at home and there'll be some kids that will be in the classroom. So we have camera systems in the classroom that allow, and I used it just this last week with our leadership team. Um, that means all the department chairs. So I had some people on Zoom from home. I had half the leaders in the building, and I had a camera. So when, if, if you know, a teacher's on the whiteboard, you can see them writing. If a student is in the class talking, you can see them. And then you just make sure everybody's on Zoom so everybody sees everybody. So we ended up really looking into that technology last spring to make sure that we could do the best we could to allow teachers in the building to make sure kids at home were getting this getting a, a similar experience. It's never gonna be the same, Charlotte, right? But just trying to think of creative ways to to really, you know, keep that connection if you're at home or you're in the building.
0: So it sounds like you're using a lot of new technologies for the the camera systems and probably the algorithm, I would assume that would take a lot of computer power. Are there any other new technologies that you're testing out this year?
1: We have a new app, Ruvna. We were doing a a Google form for families and students if they were coming on campus. We need to make sure that our students are self-checking with their families on their temperature and other items that are really important in terms of symptoms. And then if they have those symptoms, not to be on campus, and then our follow-up. And a lot of that is just making sure that, you know, you just don't come to school sick, right? Staff included. So uh, there's new technology out there that's just basically an app and it gets sent to our families in the morning and it's either through an app or an email and then it comes up with your name and then you have three, your parents have to go over a couple questions on that app asking you know if you have any of these symptoms and then it automatically, if you answer no to everything, you get a QR code. And then when you walk into the building, you'll share that QR code with security, and it's just they use an iPad to catch it, and then it pulls it into our system. And so that's that's new technology that's out there. And then the second piece of technology is on the Winnecke campus, you know, we're such a big campus. We have a lot of kids, but we also appreciate allowing kids to be independent. And part of that is during free periods, kids can go where they want to go. Well, part of what we want to make sure we're doing, too, is contact tracing. So there is technology out there. I may have to assign some kids at the beginning. Like here's where you know, you're going to need to go during your free period and during your lunch period. If you want to go to another space, you could go to a tutor, let's say, and you want to do one-on-one or you want to meet with a staff member, then there's a way for you to sign out and sign in through your ID card. And that's just a scanner just kind of like if you're going to Starbucks. And so using technology to contact trace. So I'll know that Charlotte was in her class. She was in her area that she was assigned for um, her lunch period. And then she left and she went to this other area because then I'll know who you were around Charlotte. That's what we really want to make sure. So if I hear that, you know, someone in your pod area ended up testing positive, I don't have to close the, the whole school. I just have to contact trace where that student where it was and then proximity. And I report this to the county and I say to the county, here's the information we have, here's who's in proximity. And then the county will determine of those people that were in your space, who do, who do they need to contact and who should quarantine. So it gives us the potential not to just go all or none. And that's a technology that is, I think, really important for us to help ensure that we're making good decisions and not just based on not knowing where kids are in the building. And so I think it's going to be very helpful.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. So how did the needs of the parents and the students differ from those of the staff? And um, what was your approach to accommodating both?
1: So I think the, the common denominator is safety for everyone. So I think about it what's most in common and not what's different. and I think for everyone, including myself and and thinking about my own family, safety is really at the forefront and especially in something that we just don't know enough about. I mean, it's very clear that, you know, information was changing and shifting on a daily basis, if not an hourly, right, minute to minute. And so just how do we ensure that the information we have is accurate, that we're getting it from, you know, the right sources that we're disseminating it in a way in which the processes that we make, the guidelines, procedures are accurate, are up to date, and that we're communicating that clearly to our student staff, and our parents. And, and I think that is probably the number one thing, because if our staff and our students don't feel safe to be in the building, then you, you can't, you know, you can't be your best. You can't learn. You know, it's hard to teach. And so really ensuring that the, the safety measures and the protocols are there and i think for for kids and for staff it looks a little different because adults and kids right so kids on the weekends i mean you 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 see i mean i can only do so much when kids are on campus um, and when they go home that that's that's not my job that's a parent's responsibility and so how do we team together to make sure that you know our kids are being safe not only at school Um, but at home and then when they're in the community. And so I think it's partnering and just saying that if we want our kids in school, it's going to be important that we all come together um, to to make sure that we're protecting ourselves and others.
0: So Nutri Special Education Program with the High Five Choir and ELS Club's Is quite renowned how are you adapting these services to remote learning
1: great question so we are actually um, in the process of part of the the ladder that we have in reopening is bringing in some of our students that um, have have really high needs in terms of just types of programs that they usually access when they're at school Um, and that's our transitions and our ELS program learning strategies so our plan was always to have those kids in the building a little earlier. They would transition earlier than our other students, and and, and the numbers are about sixty. We're talking about, and then, you know, maybe a little less if some of those are opting for full remote. But we know that what they need and their ability to learn through remote for a lot of kids, it's not working, and for this population of students, it's it's really not not the best situation to be learning from home, and and there's a lot more support they need at home than some of our other students. So, you know, really helping and partnering with our families to see how we can get those students back in school. Um, So we've initiated a plan um, for those students to start returning and doing an orientation with the parents and the students.
0: All right. so finally, the United States is in the midst of a reckoning with police brutality and institutionalized racism. How does the school plan to create and foster dialogues about this topic in a remote environment?
1: So I I think that you can't wake up, you know, any day and not see what's going on across the United States with unrest. Um, So Dr. Sally's um, strategic plan, there is an equity piece to that plan. And we were working in the spring last year with our commitment, you know, to equity and Every department was doing work. I mean, we, we had a lot of things going on that um, we were doing not just from top down, but within each department, really looking at their programs. In other words, like some of the things we've heard from kids with equity was um, I don't necessarily see myself in the curriculum in some of the English books. And so and our English department did a fabulous job doing a curriculum review and, and really looking at that piece of it. So there's departmental work. And then part of our plan when we went to the block schedule was to put in this X block. And that X block we felt would be a wonderful opportunity for student programming. And it's obviously much easier to do in person, but those days as you see now, those are days that you can have office hours with different teachers, departments have office hours. But eventually there'll be a day where we'll say 10th grade all needs to either, you know, do a full school webinar, or you might just do a a Zoom with a particular uh, program that we're running. And so we want to use those opportunities for students, small and large, to talk about some of our equity work and to empower students to actually be leading that equity work so we have a committee that has been meeting and met over the summer and we just met actually the other day with the adults running the committee um, and we'll continue developing and identifying programming so there's a group that that's that's their role is to identify the programming through the x block with equity
0: at Nutrier, we are extremely fortunate to have access to the resources that are making reopening a possibility and many of us might not even realize the extent of the effort that has gone into making our reopening plan by the administration. Now, it's time to put all this scheduling and technology to the test and see if learning in the classroom really is plausible during a pandemic. Thanks for tuning in to Gen Z Frenzy this week. Our next episode will end our reopening series by talking to students from other countries about what school is like for them this year. So get excited. Also, be sure to follow our Instagram. We're at Gen Z Frenzy Podcast. Until next time.